Raider. What's good, podcast fam? It's your boy, Jason Craig, a.k.a. The Friendly Neighborhood Dreadhead, and this is another installment of the interview series, and I'm joined by a very special guest. He has acted in some shows you might know. He's acting in one of my favorite shows. He was in, he was just recently in Barry, and he played Old Joe in Breaking Bad and in El Camino. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Mr. Larry Hankin. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, Jason. I just stay away from human beings. That's, that's... You know what? We're going to get along because I try to do that too, even though I'm a podcaster. Sounds weird, but yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing okay. That seems so far, so far, so good. Okay, okay. So, uh. So it's funny story. Funny story. Um, when I first thought, when I first started watching Barry, uh, <laughs> when I saw your character, I was the whole time I was laughing. That scene with you talking to I forgot what the name, but it was the funniest scene ever because your character was he was it's like he was just so dead on the inside. <laughs> and well, were, you know the, the the funny part of that for me was that. Um, I like I like to get some sort of direction from you know a, a director says so, you know just give me a little hint as to where you you want me to go or, or what you think is cool. But uh, Bill Hader, who I really uh, love, I mean, as an actor, as a director, as a writer too, he's pretty good. He's pretty cool. Um, he w- he didn't give me any direction at all. He didn't talk to me at all. He didn't say word one except, are you ready, you know, Larry? That, that was the last time. Then we started to shoot. And the whole day, he never gave me any direction. And I was starting to get worried. I was thinking maybe maybe I was doing it wrong. He didn't know how to tell me or whatever. But no, And also they had a, a, what do you call it? They asked me, can I do a Russian accent? And I said, yeah, because you say yeah to everything. You know, can you ride right. a horse? Yeah. Can you <laughs> jump down a, a gully? Yeah. So um, I said, yeah, I had a Russian accent. And then they said, well, would you be bothered if we had a, um, a Russian, um, um, I guess, a, what do you call it? language coach, you know, or accent coach? And I said, no, that would be great. It would really help. So I know I don't mind having them there at all. So they said, okay, fine. So I showed up and I couldn't find the, the, uh, the coach. I, nobody knew where, where he or she was. And I was really getting kind of nervous because my time to get on camera was coming up and I didn't know anything about it. So all I had was um, an improv Russian accent, you know, you just when you make up, you know, da, right. da, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was the only thing I, I had to do. So I just had to go on camera and start doing that. And Bill Hader didn't say anything. He didn't say, you know, that that's bad or that's good or whatever. So I just kept on going. And at the end of the thing, he said, you know, okay, Larry's dismissed, blah, blah, blah. And I went over to him and I, I said, hey, could I ask you a question? And he goes, yeah, sure. What? 
thinking, you know, why didn't you talk to me the whole time, the whole day? You never gave me any direction, you know? And, and then this goes to what you, you said before. I, I said, well, uh, you know, you, you never gave me any direction. Why? And he goes, well, we didn't write it the way you were doing it. So um, we wrote it totally different. So when you started doing what you were doing, it really confused both of us. Him and his writer friend was there. I mean, he was directing, but his writer, his buddy was there. And he said, we were talking about it and we couldn't figure out how to get you back on track. But what you were doing was so cool. We thought, well, let him just go, man. You know, just don't bother him. So he says, but I had no idea how to direct you because it wasn't what we wrote. So that was kind of interesting. And then um, when I went, I was about to leave, they showed me the scene. They said, hey, would you like to see it? Because they recorded it. So I said, yeah, yeah. So I'm watching it and it was fine. And I was listening to my accent. And I said, it, and there, I was watching it with a, this other woman. We were watching it in the TV village. And I said, hey, by the way, um, do you know where the uh, language coach is? And she said, I'm the language coach. And I said, well, I couldn't find you. You know, it, it, did, were you, did you watch the scene? And she, she, oh, yeah, I watched the scene. She said, well, you know, how is my accent? And she says, it's fine. I didn't think anything was wrong. So, I mean, he wasn't giving me any directions. She wasn't giving me any direction. <laughs> I was out there on a limb. And luckily, I guess I made some right choices. But I didn't know that. I just kept going because nobody said anything. Um, so you said you were laughing and it was so funny and I was doing a really serious man, but they had written it funny. Yeah, so, because boy, man, like, out. the reason why I love that scene so much is because like every, if you, if um, for the people out there, if you watch Barry, it's a dark comedy. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And the way that you were playing it is because um, in the scene, you're supposed to be playing this Russian badass, uh, this Russian badass hitman that is. Told, <laughs> I'm, cry I'm crying over my wife. Yeah. And, and, and I guess what makes it so funny is because I forgot the actor's name. I forgot the actor's name. It's going to hurt me. It's going to kill me. But when y'all were talking, it was like he was trying to lighten the mood. But he's like, I am scared because I don't know if I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and like while he's talking to you, oh right, right, yeah, he's you're pouring, <laughs> you're pouring your heart out to him, and it's just like, with like, um, I'm not, cool. I'm not no, gonna, that's great, that's great. yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil the scene because guys go watch Barry, it is hilarious, but the lead up to what your character does, right, it's right. it's shocking, but the build up is funny because it's something that you don't expect, because even I was like, oh. <laughs> Oh, that just happened. Exactly, well, <laughs> see, I had no idea about the context, about the whole scene. I was just worried, was my accent okay? He's not giving me any direction. Is my character okay? I mean, that's what was going through my head. So I wasn't paying attention to, you know, how it looked to, to you or anybody else, even right. you know, a hater. Uh, so, yeah, it turned out uh, fine and now that you mention it, yeah, the juxtaposition of him being scared and I'm being weird, you know, he's going to die. No, I'm going to die. You know? <laughs> and that's and yeah. that's what threw me off. Cause like, oh, he's about to kill. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then 
I, I got to admit that, you know, when I finally did do it, you know, and I was sitting in a chair. So obviously when I pointed the gun at myself, yeah, the, the power of the gun would have knocked me back. But they framed it from the bottom of the chair. To, so all you see is my feet over, you know, over. <laughs> now that was funny, man. Oh, yeah. I, was, I, I, I had to lay there while they measured stuff. What they were working, I didn't know why it took so long. You know, I was sitting on the chair backwards and the camera could not see my face. So I knew that. So I'm wondering, what the hell is taking so long? I laid there for a real long time. I have no idea how long, but I really, and, and just crew is walking around me and they're measuring stuff and they had beeswax, you know, the smoke of the gun and stuff. Right. But, but after it was all over and I, they said, do you want to go see the scene? I said, yeah. And they, they would just showed me the, the scene where they framed the, the death scene with the bottom of the chair and my feet. But I finally found out what took them so long. All they cared about was not me or the, what they were trying to do was get the smoke right. I mean, to try and get smoke right. Right. It takes like a long time and it kept on doing, you know, no, no, it's got to curl this way. No, no, no. Do it over here. No. And I'm going, what the hell? But it looked when I finally saw the final shot that they used, the final thing, the smoke was funny, and I thought Hater is the weirdest guy. He's, but it was funny. I mean, it was worth all that time. You know, just, if you if you ever watch the scene again, look for the smoke. They really took a lot of time on it. You know, the, yeah, the smoke I'm, of the barrel of the gun. Yeah, I'm oh, definitely going to yeah, take a look. Yeah. Like I said, that scene. Um, I I thought that scene was. It, it was it was great just because oh of, thank you man i like i say i you know i was just trying to do a good job you know? oh no nah, man you trying to get home you did a great job because i was i was laughing i played that scene over like three times just because really no kidding <laughs> because like i said the dialogue between you and and bill's friend was just hilarious just because how scared he was and how like cold and like just how depressed your character was yeah more and more depressed yeah, yeah and so finally the weird the weird thing was, and they kept on doing that take the, the last take it was like a, a close-up of my final you know then whatever my final speech of and then i boom but they, they took a long time so when i saw that part i thought um oh I my my bottom lips started to to shake like like the emotion that I was acting, pr pretending, right, start to get to me, you know whatever it was going on inside of me because my 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 lips started to shake and I heard somebody because uh, it was deathly quiet you know I'm giving this long speech about about to kill myself so the set was really quiet I I could hear nothing you know but my sound of my voice and then when my my lips started to quiver with the emotion of you know losing my wife and children i could hear somebody go oh. you know, like, oh, his lip is <laughs> oh i must be acting pretty good i mean somebody just went oh. <laughs> but i mean i had 
no idea what was going on, really. Yeah, I mean, Neither I think that day it turns out. Yeah, yes. Yeah, because I was meaning to ask you that because um, when, now that you said it, the more that the scene went on, you can tell that you um, your character Stovka was getting more and more sad. Yeah, and, it was getting to me. I, you know, I wasn't yeah. ready to, to so, have so it, the, it, it, the emotion affect me. You know, just yeah. by acting, it started to get to me. my lips started to quiver, and I think, no, this is a good thing. This, I'm, I'm really, I'm about to kill myself. Yeah, my lip which should be. <laughs> but it was just really funny that nothing that I thought was going to be there to help me wasn't there, and that was really helping me. You know. Okay. Well, but that was the last. After I did that, I I just walked away. I said, okay, it was the first acting job acting job because i'm an improviser and a stand-up okay. comedian really so I, I, I i'm not really an actor i don't i don't know the the mechanics of acting i just pretend and it seems to work right. but um after that that was the only character that i did a backstory on i mean i actually did try to you know visualize losing my my wife leaving me taking the kids and everything and leave me alone when they found out what I did. Um, but that was the only one. So I thought, okay, I'm an actor. I mean, you know, Bill Hader, who, who I really respected as a director, he's really good. Um, that if I fooled Bill Hader into thinking I did a good job, let, let me walk away as a winner. <laughs> so I just, I, I didn't do any more acting. N not officially, I mean, I, I do it for friends. But, right. but that's it. Now, now I'm, a, I'm a writer now. Okay. I, I, I'm you know writing a, a, a book now. But uh, so so I, I walked away thinking, all right, I did my job. Cool. That, that so, cool. man, that's really cool because for you not to be an actor, you sold that scene, man. Uh, yeah, and I figured, you know, why push my luck? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, you know, one A, you know. It's always good to go out to go out on a good note. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I thought. Yeah, this, would, this would be a good good place to just like walk away. So I thought I would walk away for just you know a little while, you know, kind of rest, right. take a year off. But no, and then my two agents all re retired. You know. Oh wow! So when I went back, I didn't have any agents. I stayed out for like two and a half years. Well, COVID hit while I was. You know, taking the year off, right? COVID hit, and then that was like everybody was sequestered. And I thought, yeah, that that was good thing to just walk away because, um, as I was studying the industry, everybody was acting. You know, you had to wear a mask and get tested right before you go on. And I was asking my actor friends who were still working, you know, how did you work through COVID? And it was really hard because everybody had to show up with a mask. You know, crew, everybody had, had a mask. And, um, the, and, and then as soon, you got on your, your, your marks and everybody was ready to go. <clears throat> and, you know, the, the, act, the, the director will go, uh, you know, sound, camera, action. You know, three, three things. Well, now there was four. It was, okay, sound, camera, Take off your masks. Action. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody goes. They just act and then okay, cut. 
<laughs> and I thought, I can't act like that. I mean, it's hard enough for me not being an actor and pretending, but with the mask. So I was glad to, to stay away. And I started writing a book during the sequester. And I thought, ah, no, this is fun. You can do it at home. Nobody's telling me what to wear while I write. <laughs> Nobody's telling me to stand over there. And so some actors, you know, really the stars, you know, the, the headliners. Right. They get really mad if you get in their light or something. They're very oh really watchy. Oh oh yeah. I, I acted <laughs> once with um, Lucille Ball. Oh that really? was the that was the direction she gave me when the when the when the director said cut. We did the scene about three times. It was a yours, mine, and ours. It was all with Henry Fonda a long time ago, about twenty. Yeah, years. like I don't I don't know much about like you know like like um I never heard that movie, but I do know who. Yeah, well, she's a diva, is what she is. She's she's really like uh whenever the act the director yells cut, um, she would just stand, she would step about 10 feet away from what her mark was in the in the scene. She'd just walk and she would just stand there like a statue. And then three of you know, four women would just rush from the costume and the uh, makeup department. They would rush around her. They would surround her, and one would start working on her hair. One would start working on her eyes. Another would start working on a lipstick, and the last one would work on a costume. Now she was perfect all the time. She had, a, you know, about a ton of makeup on, and, right. and she wouldn't do anything in the scene to ruin her makeup. <laughs> that was that was her <laughs> backstory. Don't ruin my makeup, and uh, so there was nothing for them to do in between shots you know so they would just touch her you know like and she would just like this you know, it's like a statue and they would just touch her hair pretending that they were fixing it or they would just do this to the costume but, you know <laughs> not doing anything and they would you know would touch her lips like they were but nothing changed it's not, it was just perfect all the time and then so she called me over to to the point so she's standing there and all these women are just doing that. And she's just, you know, she calls me over. I, I was bagging the groceries. That, that was all. It was, you know, it was when I was a, a, a kid just starting. So I was You're bagging right. the groceries that she and Henry Fonda were buying, you know, in a supermarket. And that was all my saying. I think my line was, you know, a paper or plastic. That was my line. And, uh, you know, I'm bagging the thing. And then when he cut and the women come over and da, 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 and she looks over and she says, you come here. She's pointing to me. Young man, come here. So I go, wow, she, well, she wants to talk to me. What is she going to say? You know, she comes, I go over to yeah. And she says, if you stand in my light one more time, you're not going to be here tomorrow. Ooh. Oh, God. Whoa. I thought, oh, God. <laughs> so for the rest of the scene, all I was worried about, you know, screw the bagging the groceries. Don't get in her light, man. That that was all I was thinking. Years, <laughs> years later, I was playing on Broadway with the committee, you know, and she was in, and it was called the Broadway League, and they play baseball in the summer. And they have a Broadway League. And all the shows on Broadway are on the teams. Uh, they have a, a regular league. I think there's like three or four teams in each league. Oh, and all the right. Broadway shows of that year are all the actors, right? The teams, and and they don't go by shows. They just uh, break it down to all the actors, and they just divide 
them up. So all the teams are mixed with shows, different shows. And they just give you know nine each or whatever. So I'm I was on her team. We were on the same team, and she may be a diva when the director yells cut, but she's really a a pro at at comedy, man. I mean, look out. She's you know. A, a major force, a force major. Yes. Median. She is. Um, and I was on her team. So, you know, we just, well, when she gets up to Batman, now she's played baseball, obviously, just by the way she held the bat and, you know, would tap the home plate with the tip of the bat, you know, and then she, you right. know, throw it right in here. And then she would curse the pitcher like a Taiwanese sailor, man. She had a vocabulary that was amazing. You know, forget, you know, George Carlin. She was just... Oh, oh, she worked. <laughs> no, she would curse him out. She, yeah, put it right here. And then she would swing, man. She would swing, you know, for the fence, you know. She wanted to win that fucking game. And then she would... Bam, and she'd do a line drive right through the hole in left field. Yeah. I mean, she was serious, you know. So just stand. So the entire time I was on her team, I just it was a sunny day out in the park in Central Park. It was where the league was playing. I just didn't want to get in her light, the sunlight. <laughs> I didn't want to get a shadow on her. I just I always like, where's the sun? Okay, she's over there, it's fine. I mean, that was years later. It's still stuck in my mind. I was say she came from PTSD. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Man. Every time you see Lucille Ball, oh yeah. no, oh, I don't no, want to get in her sunlight. Uh, oh, there's a powerful woman. Woman. <laughs> I was about to say. Uh, I about to say even like um like a uh, um Lucille Ball from from like you know the shows that I, the show that I saw her in. She has great comedic timing. Oh, she's got chops, man. No, no yeah, kidding around. Great comedic, great comedic timing. Yeah. Have you ever seen the the scene where she did it with Harpo Marx, the thing in the mirror? It, it, man, it's been, it's well, been they so used long. to do it. The Marx Brothers, who were incredibly funny, used to do a mirror thing where Harpo Marx, there was a door, but the two, and um, what they did was, I think it was uh, Groucho. Or Zepp, Groucho or Chico. I think it was Chico and Harpo. So Chico and Harpo, Harpo was on one side of the, just a door frame. But they both came out at the same time, you know, like this. And they both did the same thing from, you know, and it was an exact mirror thing. It was the most amazing thing. It was in a movie, a black and white movie, in an old Marx Brothers movie. But they imitated each other. And Chico kept on thinking, this can't be, this, this is a mirror, but it's not me. It's my brother Harpo. And we're both doing the same, this, you know, the same thing. And they were exactly the same. It was fucking amazing and a brilliant thing to put in a movie. And it was hysterical right. because they imitated. Okay. And she did that years later on the Lucille, you know, Desi on their show, I Love Lucy. She right. did it with Harper. Harper was a guest on the show. And she did that scene. Instead of Chico, it was Lucille Ball and Harpo did the exact same scene. And she did it perfectly, man. I mean, better than Chico, better than Harpo, better than Groucho. So, yeah, she had chops from 
from the get-go, from way back. I mean, she could do old stuff, new stuff. Yeah, she was an yeah. amazing lady, but still a diva. Yeah, probably uh, the biggest diva ever. Yeah, because cool. even when I like, because even when I'm, whenever I would watch I Love Lucy with with uh, you know, with my with my cousin, yeah. with my older cousin, I would like, she looks perfect in every scene. <laughs> no matter yeah. what she, no matter what she doing, like um, yeah, she got, and she did it perfect. Yeah, and I forgot what episode it was, but it was when I think it was her and her friend they were working on, on the, the chocolate container. line. Yeah, and I was like, she's That's doing incredible. manual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was like, the whole time, like, she should still not be looking perfect. And she, yeah, was- yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she, yeah, I mean, she was she was amazing. You know, she and was she was a star for a long, long yeah uh, time. But I, that was the only. So I met her, you know, twice in my my life. One acting with her as a bag man, and the other one on, on the same team. Not not as a bag man, as a bagger. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, uh, both times, years apart, and she was the same right on. I mean, when she was playing baseball, she was like the best person on the team, man. I mean, she went for the fences every time she was up. She was great out in the field. And as an actress, you know, comedian, you know, I love Lucy and in the movies and stuff. And then even before that, before she became a comedian, she, she was a great actress. You know, she's really yeah. cool. And, 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 and really beautiful to, for a beautiful woman to be a comic actress and not care about how she looked, you know, with the, the chocolate stuffing them <laughs> in the, her face, you know. And, and I think she was dropping them down to... I mean, yeah, you you can. That's a classic scene. I mean, that's shown over and over again, all over the world. It's been done, but I will say this: Oh my God, if I see that being parried one more time, <laughs> I've seen it in Drake and Jazz, and I think I think two broke girls did. I think at one point. Oh really? No kidding. I, th- I think that scene is. Uh, I don't know if you like if you've seen like a lot of like sitcoms nowadays. Oh, but they that imitate. Scene, they imitate that scene so much. Yeah, I guess they do. You know, you're right. It never occurred to me. But yeah, I've seen other people do that scene. Yeah, yeah and they never did it as good as her. Yeah, I mean, never, it's not never even as close. Good. Yeah, not, like like I said, um, even though like I'm not a fan of like older. Sh- I watch some older shows, like black and white shows, like The Rifleman. I just started watching that. That is actually entertaining. Well, who you knows that? Steve McQueen. I think. It, it, Think it might let me let me know. No, no, right wanted, from the no with the little kid, right? He's yeah, with the son. Yeah, uh, he has a son, and I think he's like the sheriff. I think he's the yeah, sheriff. Yeah, no, no, that, that's now. not Steve McQueen. It's it's that other guy. Yeah, yeah. And then there's but, a couple of them like that. I used to watch that all the time. And yeah. Paladin and Steve the Steve McQueen uh, wanted, I think, dead or alive was Steve McQueen. Yeah, those cowboy things, the black and white yeah. ones. That was a good the, one. Hey, hey, audience, black and white, just because it's black and white, it's some hidden gems in there. There's a lot of good shows from Bad Like. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, I'll start, like, um, I'll, a podcaster had mentioned it. I'm like, that sounds entertaining. So I watched a few episodes, like, wow, this is, I mean, of course, like, you know, like, you know, it's dated, but it's still a really fun show. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's the writing or the story or, and, yeah. and the star, you know, the actor who's right. playing it. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it's black and white or, or 
a bad show is a bad show and a good show is oh a good yeah, show. Man. <laughs> yeah have all the production in the world i'm looking at you yeah Eagle, and be bad <laughs> but uh and you do something cheap and it's great it'd be yeah. good but I want to now I want to ask you because I um before the interview I read up a little bit about you. Now you were born in New York, Uh-oh. right? Yeah. Uh well, I was born in Manhattan. Yeah, Manhattan, Manhattan General Hospital. So I see that you that you took up an um an industrial design degree. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I was a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so what so my question is, what was what made you be like instead of going doing um industrial design you said i want to make people laugh like <laughs> uh it wasn't even that serious or, or that direct no i i i i come from a, a dysfunctional family i mean right. there's no uh everybody was on there well i had a, a sister but but so there was just two kids you know and two parents but everybody was on their own kind of, I mean, everybody was into their own thing. My mom was my mom and my dad was my dad. And my sister was my sister. And that was my, and they, nobody connected. You know, my sister was off doing her thing. I was off doing my, my father. I, he was a, he was a father, but not a dad. And, and my mom was pretty cool, but my dad would get in the way. So I just ignored the whole family and the whole family ignored me. So there was no input or output either way. So I just became, I decided to be a good kid, a good child. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in back in those days, that that was, you were supposed to be, you were supposed to go to college, you know, be a good kid, you know, and then be a professional and take care of your parents when you, when they got old. And I just wouldn't buy that whole scenario that whole narrative so i thought i would be a good kid and go to college so i didn't want to go to college but all right i'm a good son i'll go to college because my dad wanted me to go to college so i want to be an artist see those are my paintings you know so i want to be a painter so i said industrial design and I, i focused on the word design and i thought that was art so I thought, I mean, that's how naive I was. You know, there, there no input from the family, you know, very guarded, you know, protective family. I didn't know my S from my elbow, frankly. So I thought, okay, I'll go into industrial design. I thought what that meant was how art influences industry and how industry influences art. And I could learn art. No way near. It was just <laughs> math and engineering and, you know, designing with ollies. You know, ollies are I was designing cars. You, you had to make, you know, graphic sketches of your finished design and they had to be a right. certain way, very strict. And, and then uh, on the chrome, you would make little white pencil stars, which were, you know, the shine. And they were called ollies. So you make these little crosshatch you know little shiny chrome stuff all over the place and that was supposed to be my art education i and i suddenly realized so in doing i went through the whole thing it was a five-year course i got the degree but i knew uh, about a year into it that this wasn't for me i'll just do it because i told my parents i would go here so i hung in for four years and i graduated at the top of my class, you know, because 
I just want to do a good job. If you put me in front of something, being a good son, you put me in front of something, I'll do it the best I can. You know, I don't want to be here, but as long as I have to be here, I'll do it as, you know, like, like right. Stovka. I mean, you know, I did, I'll just do it as best I can. I, you know, so uh, my best friend in college was Carl Gottlieb. He wrote Jaws. And he wrote all the Jaws movies, except I think one. There's four. And uh, he just wanted to be a writer at that time. So he said, where are you going? Well, we graduated at the same time. He was in the yeah. drama department, and I was in the industrial design department. I was in the art department, but it was just engineering. So I said, well, I'm not going to Detroit, which is to design cars. So where are you going, Carl? And he said, I'm going to Greenwich Village. So I said, how would you like a roommate? And that was it. It was over. I said, you know, goodbye, parents. Goodbye, college. I'm going, you know. I Because I, I, I was flown to Detroit for uh, two right. days to take a tour of a Ford factory, uh, whatever it was, Ford campus. It said all those they have campuses, man. They have buildings and quads and stuff. It looks like a college, but it's oh wow, a motor company. But they took me through a tour. They had a couple of college, you know, you know, uh, A students from a couple of colleges go, because that that's what it was. Colleges to Ford and and Chevy and all those Detroit companies. Colleges to them are just uh, minor leagues. That's all. Oh, it's wow. just training grounds, training grounds to go to industrial, uh, to go to Detroit. That if you're in the industrial design department in any school in the United States, I don't know how it was now, probably the same. You are really being trained to go to Detroit to design cars. Oh, you know? wow. I mean, yeah, that, that's it. And if you don't go there, then you start designing other products. Right. And then finally, you know. Then, then you go into the army and start designing missiles. But oh, up until then, you know, you. So I just went to Greenwich Village and and I thought I was a funny guy in high school, in college. And I was just a funny guy. And uh, I, I was sweeping up and uh, cleaning up bars from six from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. That was my job. Mm. So I, 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 I turned down. A starting salary of $75,000 a year in Detroit, in, in the industrial design department of Ford, to uh, clean bars from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. for, I don't know, less than it was my, my rent per month. I'm sure the family took that well, right? What? <laughs> I'm sure the family took that well, right? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I, I, when they heard that, man, and I didn't go to graduation because I was going to Greenwich Village, so why go to graduation? So they had to mail me my uh, my degree. I didn't go to ah, uh, it, it was a horror trip uh, for about because uh, I had to go home from you know from college. I lived in New York in Greenwich Village right. in New York, so Carl and I went to our homes first after graduating packed up all our stuff, and then I moved into Greenwich Village. And those three or four days of me at home, not cool at all. I mean, there was hardly any speaking, and my father would, you know, he, think, he, he thought, well, there goes my old age. I mean, that's all he was thinking. 
Yeah. Oh, in my old age, you know. <laughs> what? No, you know, what he did. I mean, the fact that it was a comedian. He did, I could have been a shoeshine guy. I could have been a ditch digger. It would have been better than being a stand-up comedian, which is yeah. what I finally did, you know. Because now I'm just thinking about if I would have did that, my mom would have reminded me every day I was at home. She like, so what, like, I would ask her, like, how your day going? Like, oh, my day's good. Like, I would ask how your day's going, but you're $75 more poor, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no, I, they either didn't talk or, uh, because my family was basically, it was based on passive aggressiveness. Right. So what you did is you held it in and then got even in a, in a weird oh. way. Yeah. You know, so, so it was never, they never confronted me with why aren't you going, but their attitude was, I, I don't like you. I don't like what you did. You double crossed us. We, we paid all that money and you didn't even go to graduation. It was not cool, you know, but I, I didn't care. I thought my defense was in my mind anyway, that look, I went from, you know, zero years old to 18, doing everything you said, I was a good child, you know? Right. And now it's my turn. You know, you got the degree, you wanted a degree, you have it. It's in the mail. I'm going on with my life. That was the way I looked at it. I mean, years later, over the years, now my father never forgave me, ever. I mean, oh, wow. he, he cut me out of the will. Oh, I mean, wow. that, that's heavy duty. And that's, and I, the, the reason I say this, you know, to the world, I told it to a lot of people, is it's the only thing I really respect him for because of the passive aggressiveness that he held right. all the way through my growing up years. But when he did that, I thought, wow, dad, cool. I, I, I didn't get mad at all. I mean, we weren't rich, so there was no... You know, we're just like kind of middle class, kind of just right. you know, hanging into middle class. So I called my sister. I was starving in in New in uh, by then I was starving in L.A. instead of starving in New York as an actor. I called my sister. the The will was read in New York. And I said, "Well, how did I do?" She said, "Well, they, I, you know, she went to the reading of the will." I said, "How, you know, how did I do?" She says. You were totally cut out of the will, Larry. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I go, really? And she says, yeah, he didn't even mention your name. And he gave all of his money to everybody except you. Oh, wow. <laughs> in, in various degrees. You know, she got most of it, my sister, which right. I think was about $10,000. You know, And then it's my cousin and my uncle. But it didn't even mention my name. I was like excised from the will. He didn't even mention... His, his son. I mean, you know, imagine how powerful that is in the Jewish religion to not mention your son. And, and, but yeah. my life, so my first reaction was, wow, that, that's really cool. The cool dad that you cut me out of the will. That's cool, dad. It's a major move. You busted a move after you're dead. I, you know, how getting, you can't get more even than that. You know, I said, because of, of me not graduating, you waited all these years. That's passive aggressive. Yeah. That's <laughs> like passive aggressive. And I said, like, Dad, you, are you, that's, you got me. 
Good one. Yeah, it's cool. It like it, it. It's like I don't mean to make a joke out of it. No, but. no. It's it's. You know, I, I went to a therapist. It's a savior. Okay, I want to hear that. Okay. But I went to a therapist. You know, and I, I brought that up. You know, hey, I treated my dad uh, bad, uh, and and he laughed when I told him that that story, what I just told you. The psychiatrist laughed. And, and I got really angry at him. I said, why are you laughing? And he said, you don't think that's funny that your dad waited all those years to cut you out of the will just because you didn't graduate. You know, you didn't go to graduation at all. Uh, and he, you don't think that's funny. And at, the, at that point, because the psychiatrist was laughing, I said, no, I don't like you laughing at me pouring out my heart. Right. He said, so, so no, I don't think it's funny at all. And my psychiatrist said, well, Larry, you're going to have to keep coming here until you do think it's funny. <laughs> and I thought, cool, what a great message. You know, I said, okay, that's it. So, yeah, uh, and in other words, I do see it objectively. You know, I can step outside and because if you carry that shit around. It's going to, it's going to weigh on you. Yeah, you, you can't do that, you know. Now, so I do honor him for getting me bringing into here. Here's how I adjust to it and, and make okay. it even. He brought me into the world with no money and he left the world leaving me no money. <laughs> now, Larry, you know, it's all even. And I thought, yeah. okay, I can, I can live with that. That's great. <laughs> I had nothing when I came in and you didn't give me anything when I, when you went out, even Stephen. Okay. Cool. But, uh, but my joke. Well, what she was saying, yeah, when you didn't think it was funny. Uh, I would just in my head, I would just imagine, like you know, whenever I, I imagine a wheel reading, it's like the whole family, the whole immediate family there, and they just reading. You, you just sitting like, I wonder what he's gonna give me. And they just going down like to your sister. Blah, yeah, blah, right. Blah 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 to you to, to uh, I guess whoever's close to you. And then when it when it finally gets to you, it's not that the law said, oh yeah, and to Larry. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but it was even like a science, you know, like a blah, 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 blah. And I leave this to this and leave this and I leave this and I'll leave the rest to my, to, you know, Carol and Hank. And, and then I go, well, what about Larry? What? It, it, I mean, it like, the silence it, it, of not mentioning my name is, is, that would have been, so I'm glad I didn't go. It would have been kind yeah. of embarrassing. Really. Yeah, because when, when, when she said, no, you were left out of the will, I said, cool. I mean, that's what my first reaction was. Cool, dad. You got me back. <laughs> nice going. <laughs> because he never did anything except he was a good swimmer. I got to give him that. He was really okay. cool. Uh, Australian crawl. I mean, it's it's something. But when he would, you know, like if we would go on a vacation, he would dive into the hotel pool and he would he would do a couple of laps. I would sit and watch that. I go, yeah, that's cool, Dad. You, you got flow. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was really, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, you know, that's good that you know you're because like I guess for me, I can relate to you because when whenever something like you know tragic happens or something sad happens, I try people get mad at me because I try to make light of it or make or like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. because I guess since like I I from a little bit of a comedian myself, I just be like it's better to laugh things off than to hold it because if you hold it, yeah, you were going. You're going to project. Yeah, well, it, it, 
I think holding all that stuff in, I mean, he was like sick a lot of times when he, as my, my dad got older. Right. And I think that you can't hold that stuff in. It, it gets to you. It, yeah. Ru- it ruins your, your organs. It, it's not a cool thing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, you're right. You just gotta, as, as my psychiatrist said, you gotta keep coming here until you think it's funny. Hey, well, yeah. that, hey, well, well, that's a good, uh, good that's a good lesson. Like, yeah, good it is guy. a good lesson. Good <laughs> so, now I want to ask you about like your comp, like your comedy career. So when, so I, I remember you while well, we were talking and you saying that you were starving in New York and then you were just went to go starve somewhere else. When did you see your career pick up? Like, what was the moment where it started to pick up? Being like, okay, I can do this. Um, well, it was in Greenwich Village when uh, I had my nights free because uh, I had to go to work at 2 a.m. And, and the, the bar was in Greenwich Village, as was Carl and my apartment, a really cheap, you know, four flat walk up, you know, apartment. And Greenwich Village was, you know, 20 in a four or five block area. Greenwich Village had about 20 coffee houses. So I had my work my apartment and the coffee houses all in one area. So I didn't have to, I could walk to anything. So uh, my nights were free. So I would hang out in the coffee houses, you know, because I like to watch comedy on television, you know, so right. I thought, well, I'll go watch them I'll open mic nights. It was free. There's no cover. It was a coffee house. You could buy a cup of coffee and I could sit there until I had to go to work. So I'd see these, you know, we're going to get three minutes to five minutes open mic night. And I noticed a couple of things. First of all, I noticed I didn't think any of the comedians, and it mostly was just folk singers and comedians. That was all. And no women comedians at all. A lot of women folk singers, male folk singers, and male stand-up comedians. And I didn't think the comedians were very funny, frankly. I didn't laugh much. Uh, but it was open mic night. I mean, you can't blame them because it's open mic night. This is amateur time, you know, so you can't expect a professional performance. But the, the entire audience thought that way. I didn't realize that. I just thought it was me being me. But no, the audience understood that this was, you know, just three minutes of somebody who just thought it would be funny. So I thought I could do that because I was funny in high school. So I started to get up to do my three minutes, you know, while, while waiting to go to work. I just get up right. and do three minutes of whatever came into my head. I didn't write anything. So I did it, and I, I noticed that, okay, yeah, they didn't. If I wasn't funny, and I, I, I wasn't funny, the, the first thing I learned was making your friends laugh is not the same as making customers making other, laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to yeah. do with that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so that was that's how, again how naive I was. I thought, oh, yeah, I, I was funny with Carl, you know. I made him laugh yesterday, <laughs> but the 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 upside to to all the that was the audience didn't boo, they didn't hiss, they didn't do anything. They were just waiting for their friend to go up. So they're waiting for my three minutes to be over. So I understood that, and the audience sub Rosa understood that you come to open mic nights knowing patience you know okay wait for this guy to get through your friend is on next or wait for the next guy to get through they just patiently waited you know until you were finished 
But if you were funny, they laughed. So, I mean, there was a payback, you know, of some sort. Right. And I started to, my learning curve was really cool. I mean, I, I do have a proclivity for, for funny. So I started to pick up chops. And then, so to answer your question specifically, one night I was on stage and they, were, they kept on giving me a little more time as I learned to be funnier and funnier. You could have five minutes, you could have 10 minutes. And then they had me opening maybe for the Saturday, Friday, Saturday night, real shows. I would be the opening comedian. So, you know, I was doing okay. And then one night I come off the stage of a coffee house probably a Friday night because uh, I had now a 20-minute routine that I'd cobbled together. Still waiting, you know, 2 o'clock, I had to go to the bar. And I come off the stage, and there's a guy in a suit and gray hair. And he said, uh, hey, I think you're pretty funny. And I go, oh, thank you very much. And he says, do you have a manager? And I go, nope. And he goes, well, uh, how would you like one? And I go, yeah, that's why we're all here to get representation. And he goes, well, uh, how about me? And I go, okay. And he said, okay, my name's Jack Rollins. I'll come in and check every once in a while. If anybody asks you if you got a manager, you tell them you got Jack Rollins. Okay, goodbye. And he walked out. <laughs> I thought, okay, cool. Now, that was the whole point, though, and I didn't realize it until this guy spoke to me. Uh Everybody was there not to be famous or to, or, or to get a lot of money or, or to be discovered even. Everybody was there. And I'm telling you, when I was in Greenwich Village, everybody was there. Bob Dylan, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Bill Cosby, oh, wow. uh, the Smothers Brothers, they're all there in the coffee. The Smothers Brothers were a little ahead of us. But, but then they weren't known as Bob Dylan or Peter, Paul, and Mary. It was Noel Stuckey and Mary somebody. And Peter uh, Garrow, uh, and and then while I was and and Bob Dylan and Peter Paul and Mary's manager was weirdly Jack Rollins, as was no no that no that was somebody else no Woody Allen. That Jack Rollins was Woody Allen's manager, so I had Woody Allen's manager. I didn't even know it. I didn't know the name Jack Rollins. But he started be booking me with with Woody Allen. He said, "Okay, I got your nightclub act. Uh, I got you a nightclub. You're opening for Woody." And I didn't know who Woody was, but I had seen him. He was in right. Greenwich Village too. He wasn't Woody Allen. He was a guy, you know. Right. At the at the upstairs at the nutsets. So the week that I opened for him, and again I could walk to work. The downstairs at the upstairs, which was the nightclub Woody was working for two weeks. Right, and I was opening for him. Was in Greenwich Village too, so it was just like around the corner. But it was a nightclub, not a coffee house. So I opened for Woody, and he was kind of funny, but not my funny. Uh, you know, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't laugh at Woody, but I did give him the nod that, wow, this guy's funny. It's just not my humor, but he would make an audience laugh, man. And I was opening for him, and I could make them laugh too. But that's when I knew. I was a funny guy. I had a shot at doing this. So that was oh, when it came. Man, that's, that's a cool story. And I got to give it to you and a lot of other stand-up comedians because that is, you got to you got to have some confidence because every time like, like I, I would make like my coworkers and stuff, I'm like, oh, you try, you try off mic night. I said, no. <laughs> well, no, no. Yeah. Well, well, let me, let me clear this up for you. 
no do if you want to i mean if you don't want to i mean fuck it but i mean, I mean if you do if you do want to do do it or try it no open night is really cool because no they won't boo you even if you're fucking awful man no that and that's it no it's when you start trying to be funny for a paying you know door you know yeah. uh, uh, the fee, the, the the money, that's when they'll boo. Hey, I paid fifty bucks, you know, and this is the because I, I did the Playboy circuit, you know. Right. After you know, he uncoupled me from Woody, and then he would send us both out on our own. So I did the play. Woody did the Playboy circuit too, and then I did the Playboy circuit. So yeah, those customers uh, and I run in when I did the road. I went on the road. Yeah, you don't make those customers laugh. They they get really bad, angry. They come at you with beer bottles. Cops were taking me off the stage. Oh, they God. To, yeah, punch me and stuff. Get the fuck off the stage. Whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, oh, that's, you know, $25 minimum or whatever, $10 minimum. Right. You know, and they bring a date. They would think they're going to get laid after the show, you know. So, you know, they're, you're fucking with their karma right. <laughs> you know, by not making your date laugh. So, uh, yeah, that's, but open mic nights are, are a whole other animal and they're good, a great training ground. If you really think you're funny or if your friends think you're funny, in, invite them to come in to see you or just try it. Open mic nights are cool. That's all I'm you know saying. What? Yeah. You know what, Larry? You, yeah. you convinced me. I don't know when, but on my You just give it a shot. Yeah. You know, go, go to a couple of open mic nights just to, to see. You don't have to go up on stage. Just check it out. Scope it out. Right. And see how the audience... No, don't, don't scope out the comedians. Because that the was audience. my first thing. I said, well, I don't want to be a comedian. These guys are bad. Well, why do well, what am I... But no, they... It was open mic night. They're amateurs. Right. When I got up there, after about five or six open mic nights, I was starting to get laughs. Because I, okay. I saw the, you know, I learned. You know. Anyway, that's how I got into show business. Man, that that is really cool. So, um, I don't think I've I've seen like I've seen like any of your like your standups, but I want to know, do you have like any influences that come go into your comedy, or is it just or you just feel like yeah, Lenny Bruce, Carl. Uh, 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 George Carlin, Richie Pryor, Lenny Bruce, Moms Mabley, Red Fox, uh, Bell Barth, um, okay. uh, Bill Burr, Joe Coy. Yeah, those guys. Okay. All, they all have one thing in common. They all spoke, they were storytellers, not quote, stand up comedians. They didn't right. tell jokes, they told their day, they told what they saw, they, or on television, or. They told stories that involved them. You know, I went into the thing. My father did this. I was with my buddy when this happened. Not, you know, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. None of that stuff. Yeah, I'm about to check it out because I was, I'm a huge fan of people like George Carlin and Richard Pryor. Yeah, man. I mean, those guys were storytellers, and I'm a storyteller, oh, yeah. not a guy. I never, I never wrote anything down. I never told a joke. I told, you know, I told stories, and the oh, stories yes. were funny or not funny, you know, right. whatever. Right. So now, 
on while we're on the subject of comedy, as you know, over the I think a month or two ago, the whole thing that happened at the Oscars. Do you feel like um, there should be a line drawn in comedy, or do you feel like people should, you know, take things as jokes? Wait a minute. Is there such a thing as comedy or take things as jokes? Is that what you're saying? Or? Well, the thing is, you know, the whole debacle that happened at the Oscars, people were saying that Chris Rock went too far with his joke. There's people on one side of the fence saying that she should have took it as a joke, or there was other oh, sides. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay, well, you have okay. That's critical thinking, and then the comics that I named were all critical thinkers. And I started out not being a critical thinker; I just a critical jokester, critical stand-up right. comedian, whatever. Um, I started just telling, always telling funny stories about my day they weren't critical thinking they were just you know i went shopping i did this i dated this girl it was funny this was you know stories about myself maybe myself was the butt of the joke or whatever it doesn't then right but then i started to get into lenny and carlin and Pryor and mom's maybelline and red fox and all those bell bought and they were telling stories that were about themselves and they were stories but they had a point to them and Car Carlin made a, a point of making that clear. I'm being funny, but there's a point behind it. I want to open your minds up. I want you to think clearer. I want you to, you know, pay attention. And so his funny was pointed, and so was Lenny Bruce's and blah, blah, blah. So um, you have to have two minds. One is I want to be funny. Okay, right. but if you want to be cogent, if you want to be a critical thinker and be funny, there's a line you got to cross. It, no, let me put it this way. There's a line that you have to push. Right. And you just keep pushing the line so that the line gets further and further. Now you can step over the line and you're busted. You can mm -hmm. push the line and you get angry responses but you can't be busted. And George Carlin and Lenny Bruce and Richie Pryor always played with that line. Am I pushing the line or am I stepping right. over the line? And they played with that very consciously. And every once in a while, they'll step over, they'll, they'll, they'll push the line and push the line and keep you, you know, follow me. No, we're, we're okay. It's going to be okay. Okay. And then they step over it and they go, ah, yeah. Why, why did you get mad all of a sudden? You know, why did you come at me with a beer bottle? Why did the cops show up? Because you can't take it. No, it's all, it's all as a satirist. Okay. Here's the difference. You're either funny or you're a satirist. There's no in between. Right. You're either a funny guy and stay out of, you know, no, no trouble. Just, you right. know, you don't curse. You just do jokes about commercials on television and you're cool. Right. But if you step over the line, then you're a satirist. And if you're a satirist, your target is homo sapiens. Right. So that's, a, that's a clear field. That, that's open. Homo sapiens are, are, are not doing too well as far as a species, in my, my, my humble opinion. We're like really screwing this planet up. Yeah. And it's not 
United States or Republicans or Democrats it's or sapiens. Right. They're just fucking up. And if you're a satirist, that's what you attack. And nobody right. can touch you. Oh, you don't like me talking about homo sapiens who do this, this, and this, poison the water, uh, alpha predators, we're killing all the alpha animals, which is screwing up the natural balance. We're cutting down all the trees and we're fucking with the air and the water. Oh, right. you're, you, you think you're really cool and that's not funny? <laughs> so, so you got to decide who you are. And, and, and right. Carlin said it in a, in a documentary very clearly for everybody. I was funny and then I didn't want to be funny anymore. I wanted to just say what I thought and say it out loud. And in, in maybe teach somebody something. And he mortgaged his house and said, no more funny. I'm going, you know, I'm going for the genitals. <laughs> 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 and he went through crap, man. And so did the, the drove Lenny Bruce to suicide yeah. you know, with, with a needle. And, and uh, Carlin had four heart attacks getting out from under, you know, mortgaging his house just right. to be funny the way he wanted to be funny as a satirist. So, you know, you got to make up your mind that you want to be funny. You want to be a satirist. If you want to be funny, you don't get the satisfaction that you do as a satirist, but you pay dues. Right. So you got to make it. And to me, there's no choice. It's you, whoever you are, that's who you are and go for it. Go for you. You know, right. And that's what Carlin thought. That's what Pryor thought. That's what Lenny thought. I'm going for me. And right. cops show up when you go for you. But it's funny. You can't say it's not funny. You don't think it's funny. Yeah. Like, you're you're a homo sapien. So, you know. Yeah. Like, I tell people all the time uh, because comedy has always, or art in general, has always been subjective. And some people are going to get offended. Some people find it hilarious. Can't like please me. everybody. Yeah, you can't can't please it. Like it's impossible. But but I like what you said about pushing the line and then stepping over the line because no matter what you do in comedy, people's going to get offended. Oh it's, yeah. It's <laughs> like, so, you, so here's a, here's what I think I've I've learned, which is really weird, but it it's true. If you if you Say you are a stand-up comedian. If you make that statement to yourself, you don't have to tell anybody else. But if you say to yourself, "Yeah, I'm a stand-up comedian," then you you gotta you gotta take it, man. You are right. If you say you're a stand-up comedian, then you're saying, "I know what's funny." And if you say, mm -hmm. "I know what's funny," and this is funny to me, you're right. And if they don't, if they say, "No, that's not funny," no, it's not funny to you. But that's right. you. No, don't don't put that on me. I think it's hysterical. You know, a lot of people say, "How could you do that to your father?" And you know, not go to the. Yeah, well, um, I at the time I was doing me. I mean, and it was a, me against my father. My father wanted me to do him, and I'm sorry, Dad. I did you for 18 years, man. Right. I mean, you beat the shit out of me during those 18 years. What about that? You know. Right. Uh, so, okay, I did you. Now I'm going to do me. I mean. Yeah, so, I mean, which I, I feel like that's how it should be. Because once you are an adult at 18, you got to you got to make 
your own path for yourself, whether your family likes it or not. And then, yeah, and if they're think, your family, they should be for you, man. I, yeah. I'm, that's yeah. family. But one thing I do like about you is that even though you know um, you didn't go in much detail, but I can tell, like you know, you your family had it rough. But instead of being down on yourself, you you can go back and look at it. Well, you know what? It was down. It was bad. But you, I'm pretty sure you still pick things out of it. Like if it wasn't for this, that, and that, that's, I probably wouldn't be who I am today. So maybe you had to go to end up. Well, get yeah, to I had to get out from under that that weight. But uh, you know, just to not laud myself too much about standing up for myself. No, when I graduated college and, and I saw that I didn't want to go to uh, Detroit. Right. I had gone to Detroit, you know, and looked over the place. They sent for me and I looked and I said, no, this is not for me. I've made a mistake, but I did what my parents wanted me to do. I went to college. I chose the college and I chose, you know, design thinking. So, so yeah, but I didn't know standing up for myself and not wanting and, and right. leaving college and going to Greenwich Village. I didn't know I wanted to be a comedian. I, I didn't know that. I just knew what I didn't want to do. But right. I didn't stand up and say, yeah, I'm going to be a comedian no matter what my family said. No. So I was still naive and I was still on a learning curve. Uh, I did stand up for myself under your terms in that I didn't go where I thought I was going to go and yeah, where my right. parents wanted me to go. But I didn't know where I was going. And yeah. so that took me a couple of years to understand. Even right. when, when the manager said, you know, hey, you got a manager and, oh, I can do this. I can, I can earn. A, I, what I thought was I can pay my rent. I don't have to rely on Carl to back me up if I can't pay this month's rent. Right. He had a job. So I could pay my rent. That was what made me know, okay, I, I can make it. Right. But the, the, the comedy, no, I, I think really what I am, it didn't take me, it took me years to understand, oh, I see what I am. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm a storyteller. Right. And it's different, you know. Right. Like, there's Aesop. And then there's Milton Berle or there's Jerry Seinfeld. There's Aesop and there's Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry mm -hmm. Seinfeld tells jokes. He writes them. Right. And then the Aesop who tells stories would have a moral. And if you make right. it funny, you're a satirist. Right. You know, Kurt Vonnegut is a satirist. He's a storyteller, but he's funny. <laughs> Dark as hell, but he's funny. So, uh, yeah, and it just it slowly came up upon me that, oh, I see what I am. Thank God I didn't do what I didn't want to do. You know? Right. Cool. Yeah. So it, 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 everybody gets it. You get it when you get it. Yeah. That's another like, thing somebody said. You get like, it when you get it. I, I joke with people. I tell them all the time, life is like roads in Texas. They are unfinished and bumpy. But you got to find a way to fill in the cracks and make it smooth again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. To me, well, I say the same thing, but I say life is a crapshoot. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, it's you got to take it. And you, you or a, a, a character in the book I'm writing, he says, um, oh, uh, oh, you you play the cards you're dealt 
and look for loopholes. Right. <laughs> you know, you well, try to smooth it out. You just, but you, you, you deal with what's given with reality, not, you know, expectations are, you know, the curse of humanity. You know. Yeah. But, but the, my so, parents' expectations, you know, what, what I should be. Right. So we done talked about a little bit about um, your time, um, your time acting. We talked about your your time as a comedian. Now, my question is, you um, you said that after Barry, you said, you know what? I want to write like I'm, I'm going to write. So tell us a little bit more about the book. You're, can you tell us more about the book you're yeah. working on? Uh, well, it's exactly what we've been uh, sort of. I mean, it's not verbatim what we it's like what we're talking about it's me in show business and my naivete and it, what it's called is that guy because everybody knows me they don't know my name but when they see right. me on television or on the street they go hey you're that guy man hey here hey here's that guy <laughs> you know <laughs> known on the street or in everybody's living room is that guy hey there's that guy again <laughs> and, I'm known as that guy, so I thought I'd call the book that guy. That guy. And what it's about is <clears throat> the stories that happened to me as I uh, grew up mentally from naivete to understanding who I was through show business. And, and is each job, I, and I've, I don't know if it was you who said this or somebody else about I've been on every kind of show business there is and in everybody. I've been on Broadway. I've been on stage. I've done summer stock. I've stand up. I've been in movies. I've been in TV. I've been in improv. I've been on the road. I've been in arenas. I've done arena shows, you know, just everything. And each time, and that's what the book is about. I take you on, on my arc of show business and, and I show the naivete of this me, of this character, and all the blows and mistakes and all this. And it's called That Guy, A Cautionary Memoir. <laughs> and it's just kind of a warning of, if you want to be in show business, this is what you're going to have to go through. And this is your, this is your learning curve, you know? <laughs> And, you know, again, escape from Alcatraz and acting with stars, acting with nobodies, acting with somebodies, acting with bad actors, acting with great actors, being a good actor, being a bad actor, auditioning, all that stuff. That's what the book is about. And can you learn fast enough? Right. I, I'm a slow learner. I mean, once I get it, I get it. But until I get it, I don't get it. And then once right. I get it, I got it. And then I then I get it. But until then, I don't. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's on or off, you know, zero or one. That's yeah, it. So when can they expect the book? Well, hopefully, I, I, I'm, I'm in negotiations now. Well, I'm me, my, my literary agent, I just got one, uh, is in negotiation with a publisher. So negotiations... I don't know how long they take. I, I started, oh, oh, I think about two weeks ago is when. Okay. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for October. Okay. Well, that's, just I'm me. that's just me between me and you. You know, okay. I, I don't know what the publisher or the literary agent have in mind, but I want to get it out by October. Uh, so there, there is one book out that you can 
I'm going to start to uh, advertise that one. I'm going to mention it right now. Okay, so the book that's coming out in October is called That Guy, and it's what mm-hmm. I just told you. The book that's out there already, it's on Amazon, it's on it's Barnes & Noble, I think you can order it, Kindle, you can order it. Uh, but it's called The Loopholes Dossier, and I think that was the death knell of the book. The, the, the title is just too weird. It, it means you can't get any kind of hit of what it's about. It's called Loopholes Dossier, and it's about a, it's about, it, it, it's uh, nine stories. It's just nine stories. Nine satires is what it is. It's seven mm-hmm. funny satirical fables for adults. I mean, it's not not pornographic. That's not what I mean by adult. It's just that they're adult morals about right. growing up. It's in the, it's a it's about a kid called Sometimes Jones. It's a seven fables of Sometimes Jones, and it's from the age of six. Each one is a different age. He goes six, then eighteen, then twenty-four, then thirty-five, and I think goes all the way through until he's about forty-five or fifty. Each fable is a different age. And then, so that's seven. And then the other two are um, satirical memoirs. One is a memoir of a presidential candidate called um, James Loopholes. Uh, that, that's, that's where the title comes from, the Loopholes dossier. It's the FBI's dossier on this guy running for president. You know, they, they, they have to, you know, check them out and right what what somebody did an author you know theoretically me you know took the the fbi dossiers and put them in chronological order and printed them so it's it's the memoir of james loopholes uh running for election trying to get you know be wanting the uh candidates but running for candidate running for election, winning the election, becoming president, becoming, uh, what do you call it, when they get you out of office? Um, you know, what, what happened to Trump? Uh, you know, Impeachment? Impeached. He gets elected, then he gets impeached, and then he becomes destitute, and then he rises again as something else. And then you go, oh, no, man. Uh, and oh, But oh, yeah. So that's the first biography, a satirical memoir. It's, it's the, the dossier the FBI's have on this guy. And then the, the second memoir, satirical memoir, is of a homeless man. Yeah, uh, when, when I was in New York, working the coffee houses and the bars, um, I would walk the streets during the day. And well, well, now I don't see it too much around here. I live in California now, in, in L.A., and the streets are all tents here. Everybody lives on the street. There's tents all over the place. I live by the beach. They're all over. But nobody writes anything. But when in New York, when I was in New York and walking around the streets of Greenwich Village, there were people, you know, homeless people on the streets, but they were all writing in books. You know, those are crackled, black and white crackled school yeah. books, you know? Well, they all had those. And they were all writing things. And as I was walking the streets, because I didn't write, I would just get up and talk about my day. I, w- I wondered what they were writing, all these homeless people, mainly males. Right. And they would sit on the sidewalk next to their stuff, and they'd be writing. And I, and I started asking them, you know, hey, what are you writing? And I, I kept on asking, and never did any of them 
show me or tell me what they were writing. They, you know, they go, and they would either, if I asked, they would stop and close the book and say, they wouldn't even speak to me. They go, no, 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 go away. So I never found out what they were writing. So about uh, in 1974, I think, I lived in my car for a year. You know, I was mm -hmm. just kind of destitute. Not too destitute. I had some money saved. But I knew I, I had made a mistake and got evicted from a house by mistake. It, I, I was paying my rent, but the landlord was crazy. And I missed a, a rent payment by mistake. And she immediately right. evicted me because I was away. That's why I missed the rent payment. Oh, okay. I was away and I didn't send it in in time. So she evicted me because that was in the contract. But she was crazy. <laughs> she didn't wait. She just, boom. So I was evicted against my will and I couldn't get back in. So I, I said, well, I'm homeless. Let me see what that's like. So I had a Volkswagen bus that was hollowed out. I bought it for five bucks. It was, there was oh, not, wow. nothing in it. It was, it was like a delivery wagon. I mean, it was all metal. Right. There's no seats, nothing. There was nothing. It was just metal. And, and one seat for the driver, and that was it. If you rode with me, you sat on a, um, a soap crate or a box, by uh, you know, a shotgun by the bo on a box. And then I slept in the back, and that was my, my home. So a year. So I thought, okay, if these guys won't show me, you know, this was years later in San Francisco, I thought, why? I'm homeless now. So I can write a book now, you know, right. I can get a crackle, you know, notebook. So I thought, okay, I'm homeless. Let me write a homeless book. So after about a couple of months, I started to write this uh, homeless book by, um, what was his name? Barn Barnum Justice was the homeless person's name I became. And I was Barnum Justice. And I wrote every day what, what I, Barnum Justice, ran into. You know, the people who wouldn't give me any spare change, the people who had doorknobs. I don't have any doorknob. You know, I'm, I'm homeless. How do I know? How do you know you're homeless? He would write. If you don't have a doorknob, a chair, a wall, or a bathroom, you're homeless. <laughs> you know, so that's how you can tell. And then he would, he would write how to survive at as being homeless and he would give you all these hints and it's a, a little memoir of, of, and then he died at the, at the end he died and he would be, he would write all this stuff in books and his girlfriend who was also homeless, he wrote a will and he left me the last three books, last three crackle notebooks. He willed them to me, Larry Hankin. And so this memoir is composed of the writings in those three books, you know, his three books. Uh, and, and then he died. He died on the beach. He was found by, um, unfortunately, first by seagulls who were picking at him. And then by life, lifeguards who called the ambulance, but it was too late. He died of a heart attack, old age. And, uh, but he was homeless and he refused to take any... Uh, uh, any kind of home or, or, or go to shelter. He liked right. living on the street, you know, out to it. So those, that's the book. If you, if you can see it, it's on Amazon called uh, The Loopholes Dossier. Okay, that's the commercial. And uh, <laughs> Larry, the, the, uh, the real LarryHankin.com is my uh, website. 
Okay, well, I'm definitely going to, like, you sold me on on the loopholes, Dossie. I might have to well, check. check it out. I've never spoken about that, and I'll tell you why. This is the first time I've ever spoken about it. It's because I designed the cover and the name, loopholes, Dossie, and I don't like the cover, and I don't like the name. So I didn't want to the, – the book itself, the writing is great. I'm very proud of the, the, the book. But I don't like the cover of the name, so I never bring it up. But I said, the hell with it. It's a good book. Yeah, go yeah. to Amazon and check it out or Kindle or whatever. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the cover right now. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you? Is, so it, why is don't it a like bad it? cover? I don't like it. It's because it's brown and black. That's not a sellable color. You have to have the white, red, and green. That, that's what they well, say. I get uh, like for me, like for me, I'm just looking at it and um I don't know if, like how the cup how it was drawn on the cover, but it just looked like your head's floating in the. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I designed the whole thing. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Good. It's not. It's not good. But the but, but the book is really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, it's two two yeah. nine nine on Kindle. I might have to check that out. Well, you know, check it. I don't know how much it cost. I don't even you know. I, I was yeah. gonna, it came out about a year ago, and I never mentioned it because when I saw it, I looked it up on on, on uh, Amazon. And when I saw the book, I said, that's an awful cover and an awful name. I'm not going to talk about this. But that, that's, that's silly. See, there you go. That's another little corner that I got to work on. I mean, wh who the fuck cares about the cover? It's a good book, Larry. Talk about it. I about see? Say, I mean, if, I about say, if, if you see my background, oh, well, yeah. if, you see, if you see my background, it's me, it's me with the talking popcorn bucket. So... <laughs> No, but I was like, I was noticing that it's a, it's a cool background. It's a cool graphic. I like it. You know, See, that would be a good book cover. I, I would buy that book. You know, I gotta yeah, figure I, out what to write. I gotta figure out what to write about. Maybe the adventures. Well, of you know, you but you interview a lot of people. That would be funny. You know, setting it up. Oh, yeah. and what they say or or you know what happens before you go on the air or right after. You know, on oh yeah, whatever. I don't know. Well, I think you can write anything you want because everybody is different and nothing comes out right. the same. Well, you know, since you don't since you say you haven't pushed the book here on Bring the Popcorn, we're gonna push this book for you. So Okay, cool. All right, yeah. <laughs> so you can find the loophole dossier. It um you can find it on Amazon. Right. And for like the hardcover is twenty six twenty six dollars and like oh well that's too much well for all you broke ass people out there it's two ninety nine on Kindle get the book support yeah. my man Larry two ninety nine there you go a bargain <laughs> yes. a bargain this week only for just, years to come <laughs> it's cheaper than a Miller McDonald's right now which is really sad but <laughs> but uh, man I've had so much fun so. We're gonna oh, like we're gonna wind things down, but I'm going to ask you a question. I ask everybody. Okay. So since we since we uh, spend most of the time on your journey as a comedian, if you had a Mount Rushmore for comedians, I'm talking about comedians that change oh, wow. the game. Who are going to be those four people? And you got to think because somebody's going to get left out. Okay, so the four top comedians on Mount Rushmore for me. Yes. Well, it's kind of easy because last night I saw a documentary on the four top comedians <laughs> voted by blah 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 and into the into the hall, you know, of comedian right. fame. So that's on my mind. Uh, let, let me let me see. Okay, the four top comedians. Well, I'd have to say 
That's hard. so hard. I told you. Lenny Bruce. Okay. George Carlin. Okay. Richie Pryor. And and I um somebody gonna get left out. You got Joan to Joan Rivers. Oh man. Joan I, I Rivers. Love Joan, I love Joan Rivers. She is fun. Yeah, so See, those are the four I would put up there. Man, Joan Rivers, like whenever Jeez. you know, like whenever um I you know branched out became an adult and i was and like i didn't have my mom wasn't monitoring me i finally got to see the george carlins and the joan rivers and and like uh the the um well i've been roger richard Pryor's, but the bill birds and the red fox yeah and i'm yeah. like they are really they have really dirty comedy but i love it yeah yeah well to me it's not it's not dirty that's like george carlin the, the words to describe dirty words a far out number, the dirty words. There are only seven right. dirty words. But the, no, the dirty, I just uh, prefer to say, um, well, I just even forgot what I prefer to say. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> dirty, just um, street, oh, street, street language, you know. Yeah. Because that's what Lenny Bruce was doing. He wasn't cursing, he was just talking street. Like you say, oh, you know, fuck that. And the cops would bust him saying, fuck. But he wasn't cursing. He was just talking normal, how you right. talk to your friends, you know. Yeah, on, and the like hell the with street. that, you know. Oh, yeah. hell is a bad word. I mean, come on, man. I he guess I call speak. it. I guess I call it dirty because if I would say those words in my household when I was in the Madru, yeah, I probably get busted upside my head. Yeah. But like, but like, I don't know. I guess like clean cut comedy. Like for me, Bill Cosby, even though allegations he got. He's a, he's a comedy legend, but when I watch his stand-ups, I like I mean some of it's funny. Like yeah. it, it didn't it didn't appeal to me, but but I but I know, oh, he's a he's a comic legend. Like he's yeah. he's funny to a lot of people, oh, but right. just wasn't my brand of comedy. Same with Melissa McCarthy. I love Melissa oh, McCarthy. Right, right. Yeah, like I don't like her movies. Yeah. That bad, but she is a great comedian. And I'm like, well, right. can't you bring this in the movie? But that's a Another story, no, I mean, but you know what they what they what they choose like um, Robin Williams. I didn't mention Robin Williams Williams ever, and he's like you know famous all his movies, all those things. Right. And yeah, every once in a while he'll say something that makes me laugh. But I don't think he's funny. But I know he's a funny right. comedian. Right. I I know that. I just it's not my humor, and he doesn't make me laugh. But yeah, because I'm not uh, going to be like Woody Allen. The same thing. Uh, I don't laugh at what Woody does, but I recognize this genius of little haiku, you know, jokes. Right. And they're perfect, you know. Right. But Joan Rivers, Joan Rivers, you know, had haiku comedy. And you can't call her humor dirty. She didn't curse. But she would say, like, you know, I, I just cremated my... Uh, I, I think I, I just cremated my my mom, or I, I just cremated my best friend. It was very sad. I should have killed her first. <laughs> See, that's Joan Rivers. You know, that's not dirty. But well, like, it's out there, man. <laughs> like, don't say I, that on television. I get. I chose. I guess I chose the wrong words there. I. It's just. I would say it's. It's dark. 
They had like yeah, kind of like, like dark, dark comedy. Street, you know, dark comedy yeah. street. Yeah, but I, I find like like people around me like, what wow, you find that fun? Like, hell yeah, I find that yeah. fun. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, some people I mean humor is very what, you know, um it's, it's very it's what? Subjective. Subjective. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, it's very subjective, man. You can't. So so that's why I say if you say you're a comedian, then you're right. And if they don't laugh, you're still right. Right. Now, unless you want unless you want to change it, you know, like massage it, you know, make it better. But you can't judge your comedy solely by what people laugh at because it's so subjective. Right, and and that's the bravery of uh, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, and Richie Pryor. Whether you laughed or not, they know what's funny. I last night in this uh, documentary I saw, Richie Pryor said to the camera, "That it's probably right before he died. He he, uh, he, he looked older than usual, but I mean, you know, healthy. He just he had been around." He said to the camera, he said, hey, I'm the funniest guy there is right now. Nobody is funnier than me. He said that right, right to the camera. And I'm sitting in my home watching this and I'm going, I can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I just like, you're right. I mean, and that's like a ballsy move, man, to just say right. out loud. Right. But I noticed that. Uh, did you watch the, the Celtics last night, the game? Yeah, well, I saw like the last quarter. Okay, well, at the at the end or or somewhere near the last quarter, Curry just made a great fucking shot at the right moment. It was needed, and he went, you know, he went, yeah, like that. He went, yeah, and then he went, you know, and Kobe Bryant used to do that, right? And he goes, yeah, me, 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 yeah. I can't argue with that, Curry. I can't argue with that. Right. You know, uh, Kobe. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody's better than you. I got that. <laughs> yeah, like if you can exude that confidence, and you exude can have people, yeah. and be people like you know what? Yeah, he right. And like, even though somebody could possibly be better than them, but yeah. at the moment that when they exude that confidence directly to you, like. You know, and it's you're you're right. It's not not it's not ego. It's not bragging. It's just making a factual statement. Right. That's all. You yeah. know, take it or leave it. I don't care. I'm right now. You know, I'm cool. Right. And when I saw Richie say that, you know, last night to the camera, to me, to anybody who was watching that documentary, I thought, wow, man, that is so cool. Like, I gotta compare it in, in some way to my dad. Like, I know you're cutting me out of your will. I know why you're doing it. I understand your anger. I understand your, but that's a cool move, dad. It's, it's big. It's, it's so big. I have to give you a nod. <laughs> that's all. It's like Curry making a big shot. It's right. like, and I can't even get back at you, dad. You're gone. <laughs> you know, you, I see both sides, you know, I see both yeah. sides. Okay, listen, I got to go. Okay, well, sir, it was so fun talking with you. Yeah, man, thanks a lot. So listen, when the book comes out, let's do this again. You know, I can have something to sell.
<laughs> oh yeah, my, my, most, most definitely. But man, I'm gonna let you get up. I just I took out an hour and thirty minutes of your time, but I had fun. Right. And guys, um, before we go, be sure to check this out because this was really, really fun. Cool. Me too. Thanks a lot, man. No Thank problem. You, well, y'all, this may bring the popcorn. Remember, when you come to these reviews, just remember to always bring the popcorn. All right. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Bye.